from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. It is a critical moment. If we do not act with urgency, we would then severely undermine the liberal order. Brexit means Brexit, and we're going to make a success of it. The wind is back in Europe's sails. We have now a window of opportunity, but it will not stay open forever. You're listening to the Center for European Reform podcast. My name is Nick Winning. I'm the press officer and editor at the CR. This special series of the CR podcast is coming to you from Ditchley Park, a wonderful stately home in deepest Oxfordshire. Every year, the CR invites some 50 economists and thinkers to meet in this most fabulous setting to discuss and hopefully find solutions to some of the most pressing economic issues of the day. This year, we're focusing on the politics of slow growth. Over five sessions, the participants will be grappling with questions like, what happens to our politics if our economies do not grow? And what are the macroeconomic implications of low productivity growth? Our Ditchley conference is held under Chatham House rules to encourage our guests to speak freely. But we've convinced a few of the participants to take part in this podcast series to bring you a flavor of what was said behind closed doors. Joining us on this first episode of the Ditchley podcast series is Claire Wezon, General Auditor of France's Treasury, Ministry of the Economy, Industry and Digital Sector, and Jeremine Zettelmeyer, Senior Fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. The subject uh, we're talking about today is a broad one, but I'm sure you can shed some light for our listeners. What happens to our politics if our economies do not grow? Claire Wilson, would you like to kick off? Sure. In the last decade, growth has been lower than pre-crisis in all of our countries, although the situation is not quite the same in the US, where it has been closer to pre-crisis levels, and in Europe, where it's lower, with big heterogeneities across uh, European countries. Uh, Clearly, what we've seen also, uh, the rise of tensions within countries, which led to, in particular, to a number of votes that expressed this ill-at-ease situation of people, with, uh, with the fact that Growth was lower, and when growth is lower, what it means first is that it's a lowering of expectations. So, so I would say that while, of course, uh, lower growth makes everything more difficult, and conversely, a rising tide lifts all boats, and if you like, papers over problems that might exist in, in addition, the fact that growth is lower is not the core of the problem that's driving populism uh, today. The core, apart from identity issues, migration, and so forth, the core in the economic realm is economic insecurity. So it's people fearfulness, essentially, about, uh, about the future uh, and about the future of, of people's children. And this phenomenon, in the German case, which is the one I know best, precedes the slowdown in productivity growth. So the slowdown in productivity growth in turn precedes the global financial crisis. So we have essentially three successive phenomena, a large rise in economic insecurity during the 1990s that is then not reversed. Second, a phase of slowing growth in Germany and virtually all industrial countries in the 2000s, much of it preceding the global financial crisis and then the global financial crisis. So the global financial crisis 
depending on how the country reacted to it, may or may not be a watershed. In the German case, it was not a watershed. So in the German case, we have a gradual cumulative phenomenon that is then interacts with reforms in the 2000s that were good in making the economy more flexible and arguably maintaining growth and, and certainly employment levels during the global financial crisis. So part of the reason why the global financial crisis wasn't the watershed event in Germany is because of the success of these reforms. On the other hand, these reforms added to economic insecurity. And, and so the key question, in my view, is, and that's also the answer to your question of you know what happens to our politics when growth slows, is how how do we man how we respond to it right and and in particular how we manage to reduce economic insecurity without slowing growth uh, further but i think that the focus has to be on on the former on the economic insecurity problem yeah words, I yes. yeah I, I would agree that uh, low growth is only part of the story and uh, this is certainly very much so the case in germany mm. uh, because when you look i was mentioning heterogeneity across uh, european countries and clearly when you look at post-crisis performance in european countries germany is doing much better than most other european countries so there in germany uh, the story is not so much of diminished expectation it's of course very different when you look yes. at crises which have been affected by uh, by the European crisis in particular. But I, I would agree that it's only part of the story, and that uh, an important component of uh, the story is the quality of growth. And here I would very much uh, agree with what Jerome just said, which is that uh, what drives uh, people to vote to the extremes in a number of our countries is uncertainty, and in particular economic uncertainty. In, in a country like France, it's very correlated with, uh, with the votes. Um, so it means here that uh, what you need is both to be able to have a higher growth, but also very much so address the quality of growth, be it through the nature of reforms that you are undertaking to maintain growth or to increase growth, or be it uh, through the efforts you make at uh, looking and improving the redistribution uh, quality of your growth. What specific policies could governments introduce to foster a, a better growth, for example? Right. A growth that wouldn't produce nationalism, wouldn't produce uh, lurches to one extreme or another. So, so again, the the answer is a bit country specific, right? So, in in Germany, we do not have a youth unemployment problem. We do not have an employment problem. Uh, we do have uh, an earnings insecurity uh, a problem, uh, but we don't have a you know as a society competitiveness problem. So, in that sense, maybe in Germany the answers are simpler. So. I think you know there has to be a greater courage to adopt what I would call more left-wing uh, policies because we do have uh, some headroom uh, to do this without killing uh, our growth. And so those uh, policies could include a rise in the minimum wage. They would include a reform of particularly employment-related social safety nets the heart system needs to be reformed. It doesn't need to be uh, eliminated completely, but it requires a significant reform. We need to reduce tax and social security uh, tax burdens at the lower and middle level of the income uh, distribution. This is a classic 
policy that is both good uh, to reduce earnings inequality and to increase growth because you're increasing labor force participation rate and you're encouraging full-time employment. In the German case, there's a need to stabilize uh, the pension uh, system, uh, as in many other countries. In our case, there's a direct link between the lack of sustainability of the pension system and the sense of economic insecurity, because we have a system where uh, the demographic problem shows up by design of our system in an ever lower replacement rate. There's no bottom to, to the replacement rate as the system is, is currently designed. And so we need to stabilize that and that will require some combination of raising the retirement age but also raising uh, taxes. You cannot just do it in, in one way. And then finally we have a whole slew of policies that have to do with uh, equality of opportunity which is a big issue both in France and in Germany. So we, we do have societies that are relatively equal in terms of exposed outcomes in spite of this rise in, in insecurity uh, but uh, we we have a very big uh, problem that you know generationally uh, the status of society is, is trans transmitted you no know? and and so th these are again policies would be good for growth too so it's about early childhood education it's about uh, full-time schools in germany this is not an issue in, in france but it is in in Germany, after-school care, um, and then things like housing policies, um, infrastructure. Yeah, I would very much, uh, very much agree uh, with your last point on uh, inequality of opportunities, which, as you said, is very uh, topical both for Germany and for France. Uh, in uh, in the case of France, we have, for instance, a very big correlation between. Uh, the academic results at school level and the socio-economic background of the parents. So we, we clearly have a big effort to make on education, ensuring equal opportunity in education in particular. We also have big issues among territories. And that's also uh, an inequality of opportunity that has to be mm. has to be tackled. Regional, yeah. regional, uh, regional, local within region uh, inequalities, mm. and uh, and turning to structural policies as you did. I would add uh, something we discussed and agree upon, uh, which is product market uh, reforms. Pro-competition uh, reforms are clearly good to raise potential growth, will, will benefit uh, the people, consumers, so it, they, they are among the reforms that should be, should be pursued. In addition to uh, effort, as you, as you said, on a number of domains, including uh, education uh, in particular. One of the participants upstairs made an interesting point. I thought about as you as you mentioned, Jeremy. Yeah. Um, there were country-specific answers to the problems, but he made the point and raised the question: Should European governments be coordinating their response to these situations better than they are now? Yes, I think that uh, one of the things we discussed is uh, that although some of the issues may seem national and uh, and are certainly to some extent country-specific, this doesn't mean that uh, the countries should tackle the issues separately. And this is true at least at two levels. Uh, first, within the European Union, I think one of the participants I mean, was very vocal in saying that we haven't been always able to uh, coordinate policies that would tackle this low growth uh, together. We haven't uh, uh, always been cooperative. We have even sometimes among European countries engaged in uh, beg-by-neighbor policy. 
So there is clearly something here where we should try to develop a common agenda at the EU level to raise potential growth in a way that's inclusive, in a way that's sustainable, and to avoid policies that would uh, prevent each other from being able to pursue such an agenda. That's the first, uh, first level of cooperation. The second level of cooperation I would mention is the international level, because uh, when you look at uh, what happens to our social and fiscal tax frameworks, uh, they, they tend to put more and more pressure in a way on the median worker because taxation goes away from the most mobile factors, be they capital or be they uh, high income, high skilled people. So clearly here as well, I would say that this calls for increased cooperation to be able to have an agenda of more inclusive growth. So let me, let me qualify this a bit. So it, it, at the risk of sounding exceptionalist or something like that, I think this applies for Germany a little less than for the others. And, and the reason is that the types of policies I've been suggesting are automatically pro-European policies, right? So, so we, we do have uh, an issue with external imbalances within the euro area. Uh, a German policy that would uh, raise the minimum wage, uh, for example, would go some way in that, to addressing that. Some of the policies I've described involve moving away from the very single focus uh, of reducing debt, uh, which uh, has been dominating German politics over the last you know, 10 to 15 years. So I frankly don't think that the types of uh, reforms and, and particularly the investment side of the agenda I've been explaining can be done within the framework of the current German debt rule. And so I think that would, uh, that would be uh, good for Europe. So, and then finally, the, the theme of product market reform, again, is, is one which is intrinsically has, has positive spillovers uh, to others that, that are looking for opportunities to effectively export more services to, uh, to Germany. So I think that, you know, in the German case, certainly we, we should not wait to have a European framework to do some of these things. It can be done domestically. Yeah, and uh, I, I very much agree that this would I not be counter. Agree, yes. No, no, this wouldn't be <laughs> counter European framework. And uh, yeah, and, and and to add to what you are just saying, I think that if we were to coordinate within a European framework, certainly one would the result ask, would to ask would Germany ask to do these some, things. Some yes. These <laughs> yes. There was yes. a lot of talk upstairs uh, in the session about pessimism and the view that, that people believe that in the future their situations will be worse than they are now. To what extent can a government, can European governments or the European Union have an effect on lifting the mood? Well, uh, I think that's a, that's a difficult question. I think, yes, indeed, there is a lot of pessimism. Uh, it has to do to some extent with economic uncertainty. Uh, it has to do sometimes with identity uh, questions. And it also has to do with, uh, I mean, broader issues such as uh, the role of uh, artificial intelligence, what's going to happen to workers, uh, as well as uh, whether our current development is sustainable or not. So, I mean, having said that, I don't think there is a single answer to all of these questions. And I, I, I think that A, there is some country specificity, uh, going back to this point, and B, uh, clearly what we need is a broad, comprehensive agenda, but, but that's adjusted to, uh, to specific specificities in the countries and able to address uh, global, global problems together. 
there's no clear cut. Uh, I mean, we, we can agree on a number of policies that are beneficial. I think what we will also need to do is to be able to find political coalitions in our countries able to support these agendas. And I think on this we agreed that it's not, uh, it's not something that's already done. I think some of the pessimism may also have to do with you know, either a sense that politicians don't really know what the answers are. And as a result, they are applying band-aid solutions, skirting around the edges. So a lot of the sort of sense in unhappiness about the Grand Coalition in Germany has to do with, with that. So that, you know, politicians are looking for compromises, for compromise sake, mostly because they, they, are not, they are afraid to tackle the big questions, right? So, you know, if there was more courage to tackle some of these questions, then that does involve then possibly stepping over some traditional red lines. I think that could overcome pessimism, provided that you have a good story that this is sustainable, right? So, so you know, what, what we cannot have is a pure redistribution narrative or, you know, going back to the old left that doesn't have a you know, model behind it of how this can be reconciled with growth and how this can be reconciled with sound public finances. But I think if you, if you have that story, and I think it is possible, particularly in a country like Germany that is essentially fiscally very strong and, and competitive, I think that uh, that would actually work at lifting the mood. So, courage. Claire Weizan, uh, Jeremy Zazomai, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.